Monday, October 24th, this is episode 22 of the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. That's strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Insight and perspective from members of the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee. Joining us on the pod today, Jason Cooper, trader and research analyst. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. And Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Welcome to you. Thanks. Got a lot to talk about and so little time. But before we get into to SWAT, I just wanted to mention coming up this week, you know, we've got some big news coming out. We got Rishi Sunak, the potential Prime Minister of Britain. That'll be announced by the end of the week. We got a lot going on in China. We'll talk about in threats and Japanese intervention and so forth. But what do you have as a strength? There are actually quite a few. So we can talk about earnings beating expectations for the third quarter. We could talk about the third quarter rate of GDP growth accelerating to almost 3%. We could talk about bearish positioning, which is a contrarian buy signal for, for the market. But I think the most important thing to speak about is is maybe that we're closer to the end of the Fed tightening cycle than the beginning. Maybe we could just go back to the beginning of October when we had September's persistently high CPI print hit. It was 8.2%. We saw the market sell off as it began to price in an increasingly hawkish Fed. You had Fed governors like Daly, Bullard, Kashkari. They all supported this message. And the Fed fund futures priced in an, an additional three hikes in December. The biggest signal that we might be closer to the end of the tightening cycle than the beginning might have come Friday morning. Pre-market, you know, it, it was spooked. We had rising rates. We had the Japanese yen crashing to 150 to the dollar, a level not seen since 1990. And all of a sudden, an article was released by Nick Timoros, and he's a journalist that's very close with the, the Fed governors. And he effectively said, hey, come December, maybe we should think about tightening 50 basis points versus 75. And that was seen by the market as maybe not a pause, but the Fed thinking about thinking about pausing. And that, from a signal perspective, really put us off to the races when you had strong GDP growth, earnings beating expectations and all this bearish positioning. Right, and the market took off. But, you know, we've been talking about that. Once the Fed starts pausing, or even utters the word pause, it's it's similar to the opposite, you know, when they utter the word quantitative tightening, you know, or whatever. You know, it's, it has these real ramifications for the market. But I, but I think the most important part from a ramification perspective is that the Fed has been persistent in the fact that they are data-dependent. We didn't have any new inflation data come out. What we started to witness was an increasingly unstable financial market. And remember, one of their mandates is financial stability. They're the lender of last resort. So for them to have this about face without inflation data come out, it might indicate that they were more cognizant of their duty to financial stability than to inflation. And right. that I think that was what was really bullishly interpreted by the market. Right. You know what's ironic, too, is that the GDP report that's coming out at the end of this month, I've been, you know, I don't want to sound nerdish, but I've been waiting for it for a long time because that's the third quarter GDP report expected to show strength in the economy, 3% uh, GDP growth, according to Atlanta GDP Now, um, blue chip economist report that's probably a little more accurate, but same thing. But we had projected that and in, in sketching out a scenario of what the economy would look like. And so first and second quarter, we had the quote-unquote technical recession. The third quarter, the graph that was drawn for wealth managers and and our investment committee meetings was one where we had positive GDP in the third quarter, maybe fourth quarter, but then you've got the economy heading into recession. 
if it's all right, I'm going to take us into weaknesses. The irony of it is the Fed's going to raise rates 75 basis points just ahead of the election. That that may turn into a 50. You know, let's see. You know how how that works out. But the fact of the matter is they're bumping up rates just before the midterms. But on on the heels of this GDP report. So you're going to really have conflicting information, probably adds more volatility. But the point is, that in our opinion, you could stop raising rates now, and you're, you're not going to avoid a recession in the first, second quarter. Okay, how the deeper the magnitude is one thing. But the important thing for clients and, and, and people, investors, to understand is that the market sees ahead, you know, 6, 12 months. So those rate hikes hit the economy in spring, the market's already been discounting that. That's why the market's down 25%. That's a, a bottom in the market that is a good old-fashioned recession-type market that you've known when you were a kid. You know, It's not coming off of a boom or a speculative binge. It's not coming off a pandemic and a housing boom, et cetera. It's a threat of higher inflation, higher interest rate type. So if we head into weaknesses... The weakness is to come, and that's the purpose of the SWAT podcast in a sense is, is, you know, that weakness is going to show up in the economy, but it's already shown up in stocks. Yeah, and as that weakness is shown up in stocks, towards the end of the year, one weakness is when securities decline in price, investors look to take advantage of those declines and reduce tax obligations through recognizing losses. So maybe we have a bit of tax loss selling in oversold names, and that prevents a rebound. And, you know, it's an opportunity in the sense that the market is inefficient there because you're not selling a security based on its underlying fundamentals, but you're selling a security for tax purposes. And that creates some opportunities. And it was great to just roll right into opportunities. So here's the point. So if the worst of the economic downturn is somewhere in late spring, early summer, then you back up six months or so, and you got the bottom of the market. So clients might be looking at their September 30th statement saying, holy cow, I got pounded on stocks and bonds. That's an unusual year that I'd gone back, and I, I, I take out the insignificant declines in the bond markets. But when you got both markets down, what's a 50-50 portfolio going to be down? It's going to be the down the same. So stocks down 15, bond market down 15. What's your portfolio down? 15. But that's an aberration, and I, as far back as I went to 95, that's the last time you'd seen such a significant decline in both markets. The key here is that's behind us. You're 10-plus months into a bear market, and the market's going to see the turnaround in the economy later next year, so summer, fall of next year, well ahead of that. So the market may have already turned. You know, You could certainly have that third bottom, uh, which is an unusual, what it requires of clients is patience. You know, we got our work cut out for us and working through this type of market. We knew it ahead of time. We talked about it in January. The reason you don't go to cash if somebody says, well, you know, you saw this coming. Well, we can get the direction right. We can get the magnitude right. I can say, I think you know, this market will be down 25, maybe 35 at the worst, not 50, because we're not coming off of a bubble. And, and the market's a barometer of what's going on underneath. But but you can get the direction and magnitude right. You just can't get the timing right. So you go back to the housing bubble burst in, in April 05. We got the on the cover of The Economist magazine, a house falling off a cliff. You, 
you got um, Greenspan talking about irrational exuberance in December of 97. You got 98, 99, the market's going crazy up and doesn't finally break. So the duration of that is in the timing is the most, and nobody could really predict. If you ask Warren Buffett, I'm sure he'd say, if you're that worried about the markets, go to T-bills. Just buy T-bills, you know. So, but you know you're bouncing around at the bottom here in terms of if we're still sitting in weaknesses to tr- opportunity, the market's bouncing around at the bottom. How long? Well, it, you know, if the recession goes well into the end of 2023, you could have another downturn in the market before year end. But, you know, again, you, know, you mentioned tax loss harvesting. But that turnaround is coming. You don't want to miss that because that's a very robust turnaround. You can go back and look at the second quarters of 09, the second quarter of 2020. I don't want to quote statistics, but I'd be pretty accurate if I said the market turned around 30% in a quarter. Wow. And so you can't miss that. The market was up 30% from the end of the March of 03 to the end of the year. It's up 30%. So that's why you don't go to cash and say, oh, we'll just wait till the market turns around because what most people do is they'll, the market will turn around and then they feel like they're too late or they're catching up or let's wait for the market to drop back. And it doesn't happen. The market starts on its long road of recovery. And to speak in particular about areas that we might be interested in, some of these beaten down growth names that do generate real profits are starting to look attractive. And in particular, we've been discussing the semiconductor space and some of the technology, uh, Microsoft, Google, we got them coming out Tuesday with earnings, Amazon, Apple on Thursday. This is going to be a big week for earnings. Tying back to the semis, you know, that's, that's an industry that I think has just been absolutely punished. And you've had everything but the kitchen sink thrown at those names, the idea that the industry was no longer cyclical, hasn't been proven out. You have the administration explicitly targeting our ability to manufacture and sell high-tech semis to China in order to reduce their military capabilities. And these companies just continue to guide their earnings lower. But it's an area that still generates attractive free cash flow and is increasingly important to how humans live and interact. Right. So you look at some of those names or some of the pick and shovel names like semi-equipment manufacturers, and they're starting to look interesting. Right. And you buy growth on the cheap. And in motor, a student investor looking at the, the – we had a graph in a newsletter in July that illustrated two bear markets in a given period. Intentionally, there was no – dates on the bottom because the point is the market's a barometer. But I, I said the more astute investors looking to the other side of this. Where can you make money in this environment? The mistake individual investors might make is they extrapolate the market going to zero. In all the years of all the returns of the market, I can't find a negative 100%. No matter how hard I try, I can't find that negative 100%. So you know your risk is volatility. And the more astute investor, like I said, is looking to the other side of this and how to make money. One of the ways is to consolidate the portfolio. We have a three-pronged strategy for it. But one of the ways is to bring in the growth names that were beaten down. You buy growth on the cheap. They're never cheap. They're always expensive. They're only cheap when the market makes them cheap. And that, to your point, is right now. Moving on to threats, quite a bit of geopolitical threats. Japanese intervention this week, $40 billion, twice what was spent in late September, $20 billion to strengthen the yen. It doesn't work. The currency markets are much larger than that. The last time we had anything of significance was the Plaza Accord in the mid-80s to 
to make an attempt, a coordinated attempt to weaken the dollar. All right, that's when the currency markets were not that big. They're too big for any one central bank to try to control the currency. Their yields under you know uh, yield curve control, they're trying to keep the, the yield on their bonds at 0.25. In the meantime, German yields are north of two. U.S. yields are north of four. It spells yen weakness, and the market's going to win that battle. Yeah, and in, in the meantime, that yen intervention impacts our markets because they have to sell dollar-denominated assets in order to buy the yen and prop it up. So what do they have? They have hundreds of billions of dollars of treasuries that they have to go sell, get the dollars, and prop up the yen. So it does right. impact our markets. Yeah, and just we'll get back to that, the treasuries. The China delay of the GDP report was another big news item over the weekend. When they delay, you become suspect. So they come back out with a 3.9. of Chinese data, Todd. <laughs> right. So they come out with a 3.9% GDP growth figure after the Communist Party meets. So something's unusual there. But then let's move on to U.S. debt. You know, you've got the deficit coming down from $3.5 trillion in the midst of the pandemic to $1.4. That $1.4 trillion is what it was during the financial crisis. So there's an improvement in the deficit, but boy, it's still bad. I mean, you got a, a pretty bad budget deficit. And maybe for our listeners, we can just quickly highlight how that impacts the deficit on a go-forward basis, because things aren't equal to where they were back then. You have interest rates that are substantially higher. So we entered the year spending $600 billion in interest expense on our federal debt, with an additional $1.3 trillion in debt and 4% interest rates, that's another $52 billion per year. Then you have the debt continuously rolling over. So 40% of the debt matures in two years. Let's just say 20% matures this year. It came into the year yielding 1.9%. Jack that up to 4%, and all of a sudden, that's an additional $124 billion in interest expense. So that's $176 billion in one year added to the total interest expense on a go-forward basis when we entered the year with only $600 billion. Right. It's a significant and, increase. And as a threat, it has a suppressing effect on economic growth. So you can expect a, a turnaround in the economy you know, next summer, and the markets, of course, see that ahead of time. But uh, the growth is not expected to be blockbuster the next five years. Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Let's look at our headlines. Guys, what's the headline strength? Closer to the end of the Fed tightening cycle than the beginning. And our headline weakness? Boy, that's a hard one. Definitely the economy going into the beginning of 2023. How about the headline opportunity? Attractive valuations starting to emerge, especially with profitable growth names. And our headline threat? Boy, do I have to pick one? I'd have to probably say the China situation. Jason Cooper, trader and research analyst, thank you very much. Thank you. And Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist. Thank you. Thank you. Annex Wealth Management, LLC, is a registered investment advisor. For more information about our firm, please visit AnnexWealth.com. The information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is subject to change without notice. The opinions expressed are those of the participants and don't necessarily reflect on those of Annex Wealth Management, LLC. Information presented should not be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice, or a recommendation or a solicitation for the sale of any product or strategy. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from 
qualified professionals to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Investments involve risk. Neither Annex Wealth Management LLC nor its podcast participants shall be liable for losses resulting from decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on this podcast.